Welcome to the Founders Podcast. Whose bright idea was this anyway? I'm Andrew Peyton Smith, founder and CEO of Jizoodle. So episode four of the Founders Podcast, Whose Bright Idea Is This Anyway? And today we've got a very special guest, despite his football allegiances, Brendan Rogers, um, Supreme Growth Coach. Um, welcome, Brendan, to the Founders Podcast. Thank you very much, Andrew. Thanks for having me. So let's let's get the um, the tricky bits out of the way, first of all. Liverpool, you're going to win the Premiership this year, aren't you? Look, it's looking very, very good, I have to say, Andrew. It's been a while since... Uh, you know, we've had this much positivity around the team, uh, sitting six points clear. I'm not sure where West Ham's sitting because I couldn't scroll down far enough. Ooh, but ouch, that's, that hurts, that hurts. We will be back I've been practising that one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, look, Liverpool, it's having a great seal. We've got a great manager uh, and a great team. I mean, again, there's no, there's fantastic individuals in the team. But speaking about the work that I do, I, I really, I support the team, but from a team performance and a teamwork perspective, they're really working for each other, yeah. which is actually great to see. And again, like I said, doing the work that I do, I appreciate, even though I follow Liverpool, I appreciate teams in any sport or any organisation that actually are achieving results through quality teamwork and interaction of individuals. Perfect. No, it's absolutely perfect. Um, just for your um, information, West Ham is sitting in 11th at the moment, but we're only a few points, but I was um, definitely supporting Liverpool on the weekend because they beat Spurs, so... I'm very happy with that result, that's well for done. sure. Well done. Can I just say, I, I listened to episode three. I've listened to all your episodes of the podcast, so well done on the work you're doing. In episode three, there was a chap there called Gordon White, who's an Evertonian supporter. Yeah. And I'm just wondering, like, you asked him one question and he spoke for the next 50 minutes. <laughs> Have you broken that series into three or four other parts as well? Yeah, this, this is going to be, um, <laughs> we're going to have a whole series devoted to Gordon, I think, in, in the future. Yeah. And um, But no, Gordon was a fantastic guest despite being an Evertonian. I felt uh, a typical Evertonian supporter talks a lot, not a lot of action. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. <laughs> we love you, Gordon. You we love you, Gordon. <laughs> <laughs> now, Brendan, tell me a little bit about yourself and Brendan Rogers, the coach. Mate, uh, so a bit about myself. I guess how, how did I get involved in what I do? And it really started back, actually, I was about eight years of age. And sport, I love sport, yeah. love football, as we know. And I was asked to lead a team back then. And I didn't realize it at the time, but it was more about not necessarily me using words to encourage people, but using actions, using behaviors. That didn't necessarily mean to say that I was the best player on the team, but I actually started to realize not necessarily that that experience, but when I reflect back later, that um, I've had the opportunity to lead teams, um, sporting. I've had the opportunity to lead organizational teams. And again, it's not the brightest person and it's not the Mm -hmm. best player that makes the best leaders. And I'm yeah. not saying I was the best leader. So it really started way back then. But then, you know, so the opportunity to lead sporting teams, um, organisationally, I started working full-time when I was about 19, done a little bit of work before that. And I started leading a team at 24 years of age in, okay. in a workplace. Yeah, And I was young, I was immature, like a lot of maybe 24-year-olds, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And But I was thrown in the deep end and you had to sink or swim. And that's really where my passion or love of leadership mm. came in because I needed help. Yeah. I needed guidance and I was getting guidance from my leader at the time, mm. but I needed more than that. And, and I have a hunger for learning and a thirst for knowing more. So I started on the whole personal development process yeah. and that I just read lots of books. Yeah. I tried lots of things. I screwed up a lot. Yeah. Uh, I made some terrible decisions, but above all that, I felt I always maintained a level of vulnerability where I appreciated people telling me that, hey, you did well or no, you didn't do well. And if that was the case, then how can I improve on that matter in regards to leadership? And that's just what's driven me from, you know, organisationally, I had great opportunities working uh, with some really, really big shipping companies of all places, not the sexiest business, but great opportunity globally to work overseas, work in different cultures, experience different cultures, different people. And that just helped my love of leading people and leading teams. And there's nothing more satisfying to me. And I, I still get, you know, shivers and tingles down my spine every time I talk about it is 
getting groups of people together and helping them get on the same page to achieve a result they work hard for. Yeah. And if they yeah. do that as a collective unit, that is so, so powerful. And I just love it. Just one quick question, actually, and this is an area that I'm really interested in. So you say about studying leadership across different cultures and so forth. Mm. Um, obviously, there was a study done some time back with regards to basically how forthright people are from a nationality point of view. Mm-hmm. For instance, Southeast Asians tend to be a little bit more sit back in the background and so forth. And um, what have you noticed with different leadership styles from different areas? Mm-hmm. Again, great point. You know, Southeast Asian countries and people in those countries are a little bit more standoffish, I guess you can say. Mm-hmm. There's a lot more respect for leaders based yeah. on their role. Okay. But the flip side of that is you find in Asia, Japan's a classic around leadership and servant leadership. Those leaders honestly believe they're there to serve mm-hmm. their people. Yeah. So they really take the view that we are here to help you and to help you improve in your role yeah. um, and to make your life easier. That mindset is really about working. If I'm the leader of this group, I'm working for you. Yeah. You're not working for me. Yeah. So there's a lot, a lot more humility, I find. And India is another great place I spent some time in. Mm. And to me, I find that there's a lot more humility. And maybe the environment creates that, you know, there's some unbelievable situations in those sort of countries with the economic state. And, you know, there's a massive gap between the rich and the poor. And they just appreciate life. And really, I think that breeds humility. Yeah. Um, whereas, you know, Australia, we're a, we're a fantastic country, very lucky country in so many aspects. I think in our world, I see a lot more lack of humility mm-hmm. in leadership. And look, the corporate world is rife with this stuff. There's sports that are rife with this stuff. You know, basketball is mm-hmm. a team sport. But the culture of basketball, and I'm not a big basketball fan, the culture of basketball is actually more about the individual. individual. You know, like a person getting signed, a person. But so it, even though it's a team sport, the culture of the sport doesn't actually encourage teamwork as yeah, such. Yeah. Um, whereas there's, you know, various other sports. NFL, again, I'm not a huge NFL fan, but they've got offensive teams. They've got defensive teams. They've got running all this sort of mm. stuff. And everyone's got to know what everyone else is doing. It's so interacted. Yeah. Again, I'm not a fan of NFL as such, but from a teamwork perspective, mm. It makes such a difference. Absolutely. Um, and, you know, that classic team of people working together will beat that, the sort of talent of teams every day, right, yeah. or the well, talent I, of individuals. I, I remember as a, as a kid, and this is really showing my age here, Manchester United mid to late 1970s had a team of absolute brilliant individuals, mm. but did they win anything? No. Mm. They just did not work together as a team. So yeah. Brilliant analogy there. Okay. So I want to talk a little bit about obviously scaling businesses Mm -hmm. and growing your business. And one of the things that when we talk to investors in the past is the importance of the founding team and then the ability to grow that team as the business scales. And we see in small business world, a lot of businesses after an initial growth spurt get to a point where they need to scale and then essentially suffer the cliff of death in many respects. So one of the questions I want to ask is, why is sort of culture and, and a coherent leadership so important for getting over that cliff of death? Mm. Really, people, in my opinion, make or break business. Yeah. So if you take that view, then it doesn't really matter how good or maybe even not good your product is. Yeah. It's the people that will help make it great. Mm-hmm. And there's actually Ed Catmull, who's, again, I recently read about some of his journey. And he's the leader at Pixar. And, you know, they produce, you know, umpteen movies that are, Mm. you know, box office hits and everything. And then Disney actually bought Ed Catmull and his, I think his head of technology or something into the Disney side when they were struggling. So, you know, managing both companies, or I think it was a buyout. And he had a great quote and it went something like, give a good idea to a poor team and they'll screw it up. Yeah. Give a poor idea to a great team and they'll make it better. Yeah. And- I think that's really, really valuable in the startup space yeah. because, you know, whose bright idea is this anyway? Mm-hmm. Well, there's these great ideas out there and it even suits the MVP model. Yeah. You know, the MVP model is about here's something, you know, that I think's good and you put it out, you know, a marketplace or to some, and you get feedback, you know, yeah. you test it, you bring it back, you get feedback, you iterate. That's what great teams do. Yeah. And even if you do that MVP process, 
and you put it out then you come back and you've got your team of, you know, your founder group or whatever, but that team's not cohesive. Mm. If you're not feeling safe enough to have the conversation that you need to have about the product or the ideas or, you know, Andrew, I think this, and that may be differing to you and it's not mm. saying I'm better than you, but we're in ultimate search of the truth and the best result. Yeah. And we can only do that if that group of people is cohesively aligned, they feel safe to share their opinions yeah. and they're willing to have the debate, willing to have the conflict because they know that it's not about me liking you or not liking you. It's about this is what we have. Yeah. Our goal is to make this as great as possible so that we ultimately scale and make a fantastic business and a fantastic life for us. So there's two real key things there. First of all, the strength of vision of the founders mm. is a key thing, I think you're saying. And secondly, is recruit to basically complement the strength of that vision. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, can I expand on that a little bit? Mm, because that, that's such a key point around the vision. And you're the founder of, of a business, Jazoodle. Yeah. Now, it's really important. You may or may not have done this yet, but why did you start Jazoodle? Mm. You know, why does Jazoodle exist? Yeah. Often it's not, you know, you want to be a millionaire. Yeah. Okay, that's a nice outcome of maybe producing a fantastic product. Absolutely. But you want to change the landscape. You want to make life easier for this industry or you want to make the community better for yeah. some reason. Sure, some founders just they just want to make a lot of money. Yeah. And again, that's that's okay as long as they're authentic about that. Mm. Because if you're not authentic about why you exist or why as a founder you started this company, yeah. and you need to capture that, that's important. That's the beauty that startups have. The founders there, mm. they know and only they know the true reason why they started this business. Absolutely. Right? If you don't capture that now, then in 10, 15, 20 years' time when this legacy is built for you, then you've got someone in a position that thinks they know, yeah. but it's not necessarily the true essence yeah. of why the business started. You get that captured, you know, that age-old question, Simon Sinek's, why do we exist? Mm. It's the why. Yeah. Why do we exist? Capture that. The second part of that is how do we behave? Yeah. And that's the other part that links back to recruitment mm. because I'm sick and tired of seeing you know, integrity and trust and like, what does it actually mean? What does it mean? Yeah. Like, you know, you go into corporate world now and, and it's the same stuff. They have teamwork, they have integrity, they have trust, they have collaboration. That's, that's not distinguishing your business from anybody yeah. else. Yeah. I think the Sydney Swans, okay, a sporting analogy, but they have no dickheads. Mm. You know, they don't recruit dickheads. They get to know the person and if they're going to be a, you know, if they sense that there's a dickhead, well, they won't fit into this, the yeah. culture of this space. Yeah. Um, and that's the important thing. So understanding why we exist, people, your job as a founder and a leader is to inspire people to come to work. Yeah. You can only inspire people to come to work if they know why you started this business. And it's yeah. a greater cause. Uh -huh. It's that altruistic view, this greater cause. And then how do we behave? That's how we operate day to day. Mm. If we like people to scream and shout at each other, then you'll attract people that believe in your why and they like to scream and shout. Yeah. But if that's not the behaviours you value, then you bring the people into your organisation that are going to meet your values because they're going to align with what you do. Yeah. And when you get to that stage of really scaling, you're not going to get the growing pains mm. that every startup seems to get. Why yeah. do they get growing pains? Often because they're growing at the speed that their customers dictate, which to me can be a problem, yeah. especially if you've got not that cohesive, that foundation of a great team because then the problems start. Mm. The customer service drops, the angst amongst the team starts, you start to build silos in your organisation because the alignment's not there. Yeah. And that's the output which becomes a terrible output. And going back to my point, people is what will make or break that yeah. business and that product. That's the importance of teamwork. Absolutely. And so some of the tactics that you'd use to create this cohesiveness, we've heard a lot about storytelling and so forth. Mm. Are there a number of tactics that you'd recommend to create that or to help maintain that cohesiveness as the, as the as business uh, scales? Absolutely. So, again, a lot of the work I do, I'm a disciple of a chap called Patrick Lencioni who wrote, he's written something like 11 books around teamwork and leadership and staff engagement. Yeah. And one of his classics is The Five Dysfunctions of a Team. Okay. So that is a – and, again, the work that Lencioni does – I love it because it's simple. Mm. Okay. I don't need to spend an hour or two explaining this model or that model or how to implement. It's very light on the detail, but it's very tough on the implementation. Yeah. Great leadership is actually very, very simple in action, mm. but it's very, very difficult to implement. 
Yeah. Okay. So if we talk about the five dysfunctions, the first dysfunction is what they call the absence of trust. Uh-huh. Okay. And Patrick talks a lot about vulnerability-based trust. Yeah. It's not about a West Ham supporter and a Liverpool supporter going down, have a bit of a banter and, and you know, have a beer or whatever. It's yeah. about being vulnerable, saying, you know, Andrew, you're a much better podcaster than me. How can I learn from you? Please help me. I want help. Yeah. I understand your strengths. I understand my own weaknesses. But conversely, I'm also comfortable about my own strengths and helping the team and share those. So being vulnerable with each other, that's a, a key component. If you haven't got the vulnerability, then you can't do any, you can't overcome any of the other four dysfunctions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the next dysfunction is what we call the fear of conflict. Okay. If you don't feel safe in the environment you're in, how are you going to speak up? Yeah. How are you going to have the conflict? And when we say we talk about ideological conflict, so Jazoodle, this product, okay, something's working or not working, and we're getting this feedback, and you've got to have a safe space. You've got to be vulnerable. Yeah. You've got to accept the fact that what you've implemented or the product development you've done is maybe not what the customers want. Mm. You've got to cop that on the chin. If you're not, you're going to continue down a path because you're not trusting, you're not showing the humility that you need to show and you're not going to do anything with it, right? You're just going to keep pumping money into stuff that is not going to produce an outcome for you that you're looking for. Yeah. Okay. So having that conflict is important around getting the best result. If you have the conflict and you allow people to share what they're really thinking and feel safe enough to share mm-hmm. to get the best truth, then you can't buy in if you haven't weighed in. Yeah. So you're allowing them to weigh into the conversation, mm-hmm. right, to get their thoughts across. And let's say you as the ultimate leader of Jazoodle, you still have responsibility. You may have to make an ultimate decision. But if people have had the opportunity to weigh into that conversation and to share their opinion and to help get the best outcome and the best truth, they'll generally commit to that decision. Yeah. Even if you make a call that because of X, Y, and Z, it's a little bit different to where their opinion was. But if they value the team, they've got the confidence and the trust in you as a leader, they'll commit, they'll rally behind yeah. you. Andrew's made the decision. We trust you 100%. Thanks for letting, letting me have the input and we're going forward. So that's the commitment. Yeah. Now, when people commit to stuff and they've had the chance to weigh into it, so they're committing, that avoids accountability yeah. or, or it overcomes the dysfunction yeah. of avoidance <laughs> of accountability, okay? Because am I going to like being held account to something to achieving a certain result or a performance level when I didn't believe in it in the first place? Yeah. Bloody no. Absolutely. Like, you know, I just I may not show that because I don't feel safe enough to say, hey, Andrew, I just don't agree with this idea. Yeah. I think there's a better way of doing it. Let's talk about this. I'm not going to be accountable for that. Yeah. So you're either having to chase the person up a lot and say, hey, ultimately it comes down, they probably didn't commit to it, Yeah, which means they didn't feel safe enough to have the conflict. They didn't have the trust. And if you haven't got that, if you can't work through those four, how are you going to achieve results? Yeah. So the inattention to collective results of the team, not putting individual result yeah. first, yeah. putting the collective result of the team. Ultimately, it comes down to conversation. Yeah. If you can make an environment safe enough for people to feel, to have a conversation and a safe conversation, yeah. then that is the basis of everything. Okay. That's, that's, and you that's will be able to work through the dysfunctions of a team and overcome yeah. the dysfunctions of a team. Whether that's two people in a team, whether that's a one-person founder group with a couple of investors, whatever it is, you're always working in a team. Mm. You could be pitching to people and you've got to feel safe enough in the environment to say, yeah. hey, you know, I want your money, but no, I don't like that idea. Yeah. You know, this is, we're going this way Let's because you're ultimately seeking the, the ultimate truth. Absolutely. Absolutely fascinating. I'm, I'm sitting here in awe of just listening to you here actually to, today, Brendan. So obviously, what would you see the common um, pitfalls of, of scaling up when it comes to team dynamics? Maybe we can just advance on some of the leadership behaviours you see for success and, and possible failure as well in those businesses. Yeah, again, if we link back to what I just spoke about, the five dysfunctions mm. and, and really that vulnerability-based trust, yeah. if the leader does not show vulnerability, he or she cannot expect his yeah. or her team to be vulnerable. So that, that's where the humility aspect of leadership comes in mm-hmm. super strong. It's not to say that lead, humility can't be coached. You can say, Hey, Andrew, I didn't see that that was a very humbling way to approach that. Mm-hmm. You know, you're a bit I rather than we or whatever it is. Yeah. So, you know, having the courage to again have the conversation mm-hmm. around that sort of. So that's ultimately what is important around creating the team environment, the yeah. teamwork, putting team first always. Again, Lencioni talks a lot around teamwork is a strategic decision. Mm. It doesn't just happen. Yeah. 
I'm very fortunate enough to work with some really great clients that have made that decision. Mm. They said, you know what, we can, it's not that our people are bad people, but we haven't actually given them the best opportunity to work and to interact with each other at the level we need them to interact and it's impacting our business. And that's what we do. So my job is, you know, I can tell people stuff and they think, yeah, I already know that. Yeah. And again, I'm, I'm no wizard. Like they do already know that, but geez, they need to have a lot of reminding. Yeah. <laughs> they need to be reminded all the time. Mm. You know, what's wrong with having the conversation? What you just share with me, Andrew, have you spoken to your investor around that? What mm. you really think? Oh no, I haven't. Well, what's stopping that? Why are you not feeling safe enough yeah. to do that? It all comes back to that vulnerability based trust, showing humility. And ultimately what that does is create environments where interaction happens. Yeah. So if I can talk about interaction, because interaction is absolutely critical. Key key part of teamwork, absolutely. Absolutely. So interaction now, again, I'm no behavioral scientist or anything like that, but I do like, I'm a bit more data-driven around stuff and I do like to read certain theories. Mm. And one of the papers that a lot of research was done around a magic number where interaction happens or doesn't happen and trying to identify that. The magic number is eight meters. What happens is that if people are within a vicinity of eight meters, the interaction skyrockets okay. naturally. Yeah. Outside of eight meters, it goes down very, very quickly. Like it's almost a, just a, a free fall. So what I encourage, and I had a session with a group yesterday just around this because they've committed to operating more as a team, mm. but they are geographically challenged, yeah. i.e. they're in different locations. Yeah. So they must be deliberate about setting up times where they're interacting personally. And this is not times always just to come together to talk about business stuff. It's also important that they come together to get to know each other. Yeah, absolutely. So I use basic questions. It might be a Richmond Football Club. They've just won the the AFL Premiership and they won it again in 2017 as well. One of the things that their coach talked a lot about is they used a question of, tell us about a highlight, a hero or a hardship. Yeah. If you think about that, you know, you may have a certain hero, maybe a West Ham person. That mm-hmm. tells you a little bit about you. It releases a bit of vulnerability yeah. and you also control that. Depending on how safe you're feeling, you will share maybe why that person's a hero for you. Yeah. Or there's been a hardship on your life that you felt safe enough to share with a group. Well, that's that's like stripping back the layers of an onion. Mm-hmm. Right? And we're getting to know you and getting to connect with you. And they put their result in 2017 down to yeah. a simple process like that, but being disciplined about that simplicity. Everybody yeah. in that group was doing that and they're getting to know each other. They okay. get to know each other. They connect with people. They're having that interaction. Now in a sporting group, you know, there's they're having interaction, but in organizations, you've got to create that environment to have interaction. Yeah. If course. you don't, it's going to be very, very difficult for you. I would say impossible for you to be a high-performing team. Yeah. Geography is not an excuse. Yeah. Right. Technology is a fantastic thing. You're a technology expert. You know, that's, this is the startups, you know, technology helps facilitate that. If you're in different areas of the, the world or country, you know, there's FaceTimes or whatever, you know, okay, there's three levels to me. There's face to face. Yeah. Best case scenario. If you can do that, do it. But FaceTime, Zoom, Skype, whatever, there's the next best. And then phone is, is least. Okay. Yeah. So setting up the opportunity for interaction and take those three. Always try and create the face to face where possible. But if not, do the, the face to face using technology, yeah. Facebook, Zoom, whatever. And last resort phone, but be disciplined about it. Yeah. So again, with this team yesterday, we said, what's the first action you're going to do? And they came up with, well, we're going to make Monday morning, 9 30, specifically our get-together time. Yeah. Now, they're going to talk about some business, but they've never come together as a group because they've been too geographically spread. So the leader's sort of gone around individually. Yeah. No, they're coming together. And think about the skill set that that group has. Yeah. This is probably about 120 years of experience combined in that room, Mm. which they can leverage to get the best result. Yeah, absolutely. You've I, I just got the, to do it. I love the idea of geography or being within that eight meters. Is, is, it's fascinating. It's not a barrier to uh, high performance teams. Absolutely not. Yeah, in, that's in, where we've got to leverage technology to really yeah, help us in the teamwork space. It can be a detrimental if people use it rather than meeting to face to face when you can meet face to face to face or send an email when you really should be having communication face to face. But it can be used for good. Yeah, absolutely. One of my dreams actually for a number of years is to have almost like a virtual company where we take advantage of the skill sets, ideas, the diversity of different cultures 
um, but within a close-knit team environment. One of the, my former employers, actually, um, Amadeus, one of the things that we tried to do there was, was actually manage people in New Zealand, in Queensland, in Melbourne. Mm. My, whole, my team was based out of different states and different countries. Mm. And there were some, some absolutely fascinating things that we could try to do to actually bring those guys together so mm. that we were performing as, a, as if we were sitting next to each other. Absolutely. It's possible. Mm. It's possible. Again, it's, these other things around distance, they're just excuses. Yeah. Just excuses. In this day and age, technology allows everything to happen. Absolutely. And it's then down to the person. Absolutely. But one of the things I should mention to Andrew, and again, probably for people that if they're thinking it's a bit more, you know, fluffy, you know, teamwork Mm -hmm. and building high performance is not fluff. I don't have anything against taking teams out and doing what people commonly call team building. Yeah. But again, I can shoot a skirmish ball at you and we can have a bit of a laugh and a joke. Does that mean that we can have the tough conversation we need to have? No, mm. it, often not. It's just like we have a beer and great, but we don't can't really tell each other how we're feeling. We don't yeah. have that level of depth in our relationship. That being supported through the teamwork side of things and, and creating safety, creating trust, creating conversation. Sure, doing that sort of thing is important. So it's not about fluff. It's not about happy clappy sort of stuff. <laughs> but for those that want a little bit of data around this stuff, you know, something that I use and I, I use DISC. DISC is a, a common personality. Yeah. Pro- and again, I only use it because it's simple. Mm. Okay. It's not about how complex the tool is and trying to explain to people it's this and trying to make yourself look good. It's like if people don't understand the tool, how are they going to use it? Make that simple and get the interaction happening, get the conversations happening. But there is a tool. Myers-Briggs is another tool. There's a number of them out there. Tools like that give safety and it's almost like a security blanket to teams. Yeah. So. I do use personality profile. I use another tool called a team assessment. So it, it gives a foundation of, hey, this is what individuals, and honestly, first around mm. a team assessment, this is what people in the team are thinking around a variety of questions. Yeah. And all of those questions are linked back to the five dysfunctions, okay. trust, yeah. conflict, yeah. commitment, accountability, results. Yeah. Okay. It's about 38 questions from memory. I use that in my specific work that I do with organizations and teams because it gives a foundation of something tangible to look at well look this is what people in the team are saying yeah you know you guys are people in the team you're saying this like why are you saying this you know people look around and you know the the sort of heads going in the eye contact gets avoided and stuff that's the job as me as a facilitator to push that yeah andrew like you know i I know it wasn't necessarily you but what do you think about this Mm. you know encouraging people to talk people get better when they're encouraged by that the dis side of things again so much research around that but we have four dominant styles you know the disc side you know it's it's not a show to go into the detail of that but we are wide the brain separate into four compartments Mm. and we do have a a dominant side of us yes we all take a part of each but understanding that individually knowing where you sit on a personality profile type tool helping you understand yourself your own strengths the struggles that you may have and also particularly the relationship keys. How do people best relate to you? Mm. And sharing that with people in the group. Yeah. And then other people learning that about you, that also enhances interaction. Yeah. So that's where some of the science comes in to help build interaction, to help build team. And you mm. might get people saying, oh, Andrew, you're, you're just saying that because you're a D-type. You just smash it out and you're a bit yeah. dominant and, and whatever. It's not a bad thing. No yeah. style is better than anyone else. Yeah. But having a collection of those styles can be very powerful it means you won't get blindsided in your decision-making. Yeah. If you don't have a collection of those different profiles, it's not the end of the world, but it is difficult if you don't identify with that yeah. because you'll develop what you call groupthink. Yeah. You know, if, we've all got a, if, if there's five of us on this group and we're all D-types because naturally we align with people, we get a feeling that I get on well with someone. Mm. Often that comes back to a personality type and a profile. It's just a feeling like, oh, I feel like I can talk to them and they get me. Yeah. That's often you find they're similar types. Well, if you bring that into a team, you're not going to fall off the cliff. Yeah. But you will get groupthink if you don't understand that, hey, we're all D types. Yeah. We're always going to smash it out. We're going to make a five minute decision on a million dollar spend. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas you get another person who's a bit more conscientious type, a bit more analytical, a bit more logic over feeling, then they'll want a bit more data around that yeah. decision. So they'll say, hey, no, hold on, group. We need to get some data. This is a big decision. We can't just waste a million dollars. That's where some of the science comes into the team. So building a platform of that, giving people consistent language where I can go to you and I can say, hey, you know, that was very D style. You actually pushed that a bit. And this person's a bit more of a supportive style. That conflict, they find a little bit uncomfortable. Just be aware of that. 
Yeah. You can have meaningful conversations based on that. And yeah. that's how powerful is that? Yeah. Absolutely. As opposed to Very saying, powerful. well, I think, I think, oh, you know, you're just doing that because you're an idiot. <laughs> no, that's, that's who you are. Yeah. It's not good. It's not bad. Yeah. It's actually, it's great if you harness it for the greatness of the team and improving the performance of the team. Obviously, there are the, the personality type tests which bring up a fairly static picture of the personality type of the person. How much can the environment that, or the, the circumstances that person is in, how much can that change? Can that affect the results of these tests? So, for instance, I've come in and the dog's jumped on the head and uh, fallen over a bucket and I've had a terrible day, for instance. Can that, can those things affect the results of the personality tests? I believe so. Mm. Okay. When I say believe so, again, I'm not a, an organizational psychologist mm. or behavioral expert, but I actually had this incident yesterday in this same team okay. is that a person who has previously worked with this organization had shared that they believe people need to be less D type. So less dominant type. Yeah. That's saying in no uncertain terms that the D style is worse than any other style, yeah. which is wrong. Yeah. In my opinion, that's wrong. Yeah. Okay. Now I don't know the context of that conversation, but that's the message I got from that mm. person. So actually they used to, or what this person said is when they did the profiling some years back, they were more D style. Yeah. Now it was only yesterday and I'm having a hard trouble remembering what they were, but I think from memory they'd move much more into that IS okay. so, so that yeah. that sort of influence but more supportive style yeah. because they were told that that's a better place to be than their natural style. Now, the other side of the research comes out that in that first seven years of life, zero to seven is actually where your wiring happens. Mm. So that's the environment does have an impact yeah. on that, you know, what you see, what you sponge up, what you experience in that time, mm. and that's your natural wiring that develops in your brain. Yeah. Okay? And I believe that that doesn't change. Yeah. So you will always be a more dominant style. How dominant, how inclined are you to that style versus not, how chameleon you can be, and when yeah. I use the term chameleon, I mean it in a good sense because we all need to play different roles at different times. Yeah. We should all need to be a different style. My style is CS, so I'm conscientious. I need data. I like data, and I'm that supportive style. So I like the collaboration. I like the team, which is why I do what I do, yeah. but I also have some data behind what I do. It's not just airy-fairy, yeah, happy-clappy yeah, cool. stuff. But when I'm doing workshops or presenting a keynote or even talking today, I need to be a bit more out there. I need to be a bit more I-style, a bit more influencer, yeah. a bit more energetic, that sort of stuff. Now, I get drained from that. Yeah. I'll probably need to have a, a nanonap this afternoon <laughs> after talking so much. But you need to play different styles at different times. Yeah. And sometimes you may play that style for an extended period of time mm. because that's what you need to do in the team. Or maybe that's behaviors that is valued more by the leader yeah. of that team. Okay. But that's not the most comfortable space to live. Yeah. And that's not your happy place. And it maybe is that a reason why the global staff engagement rate or, or a part of the reason why the staff engagement level, well, if you look at the positive, yeah. you know, 13% of people globally are engaged to come to work, meaning that, you know, they really enjoy their work. Mm. That's pretty sad. It's very sad. And that's, that's, I believe that's why I'm on this earth. And that's why I've been fortunate enough to have the opportunities that I've had is I want to help make that better. Yeah. I want to help create great leaders. Yeah. If I can help create great leaders, then they will lead great teams. Absolutely. If we can do that and make how much better would the world be? And even in this innovation space that you live, if you've got people really engaged and actually sharing information, think about the, what the world's developed today. It's mm. unbelievable. Yeah. Given that only 13% are fully engaged in what they do, even if you just increase that by 10%, like- What can we achieve? Exactly. It's, yeah. it's absolutely amazing. Like that is just, there's so much untapped potential that we have. Yeah. And I get to see that every day. You know, I hear people's woes, I hear people's complaints. Mm -hmm. And the simple answer I have is that we need to help you get the courage to share that feedback with the leader. Yeah, Do you think leaders wake up, like anybody, wake up in the morning and say, I'm going to be a bad leader today? Absolutely not. I agree. I don't wake up and think I'm going to be a bad person or I want yeah. to do a bad job today. I want to try and do the best that I can. Leaders are no different. So, And that's one of the things I wish I did more. I'm far more yeah. comfortable doing that now because that's my business. Yep. But when I worked in organizations, I hold my, I did not give this feedback to the leader that I should over mm -hmm. time. I've got better, certainly in the last five years, even before, say, my consultancy and working with someone, much, much better at that, and I need yeah. to be. But if people can do that 
And if the leader doesn't wish to take it on board or say, you know, go away, that's definitely not a place you want to work. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But I think I, I challenge, I think most people would say, you know what, I really appreciate that. Mm. How can you help me? I want to yeah. be better. Please help me. Yeah. I want to improve. I want to be a good leader. Absolutely. Have well, the conversation. Very much so. So really not having the conversation has probably got to be almost the number one killer of performance in teams in many respects. Absolutely. So not having the conversation. What creates the opportunity for the conversation, having a safe conversation? Vulnerability-based trust. Yeah. If you have that, then the rest will just follow. And whatever that rest looks like, it will happen, okay, mm-hmm. because you'll be having conversation. You'll be focused. You'll be talking about the issues that you need to talk about yeah. in a safe space. And look, the dots will just join. It will happen because everyone's focused on this greater good or, you know, whatever, why we exist, why did digital happen? Yeah. We're all striving for this greater goal. Otherwise, they wouldn't be part of it. Yeah, absolutely. And that's the same with any startup. Okay. Obviously, we do see we've, we've all worked long enough and hard enough to, at times to, um, to see that at times, despite good intentions, disputes do happen within teams and within mm. founder groups and so forth as well. What would you say... How should disputes be managed? They're going to happen. They may happen relatively regularly. In some respect, they could be a good thing, disputes, Mm. as you've said earlier. Mm. But how should disputes be handled and and identified and stopped early enough within small businesses? Let's take the sort of scenario of a dispute getting to a HR level. I really, HR people are fantastic people. They really try and do a lot of good. I firmly believe they're caught up in a lot of compliance-related stuff yeah. and legalities and insurance and protectionism and all that sort of yeah. stuff. But a lot of them, they want to coach leaders, again, mm. to have conversation. Yeah. Now, if you think about your business and if you're going back to before about behaviours, so if you're really clear on two to three behaviours, core values yeah. that are Jazoodle, they are the fabric of Jazoodle, yeah. you don't need 10 because you'll never find somebody yeah. who meets those 10. Absolutely. Okay, two or three core values that you just do not negotiate on. If you have that, and you employ people through your interview process to weed out, are they, you know, do they have this value? Are they, are they people yeah. smart? Yeah. You know, are they, do they have humility? You know, so you start, you're hiring on behavior yeah. and you're training on skill. Okay. Now, again, I'm not naive enough to say I can be a brain surgeon because I've got great behaviors yeah. and I don't have the skill, right? There's certain roles, there's skills needed, yeah. but behavior always needs to be first. Mm. And that's what I encourage leaders and organizations to do. If you focus on recruiting on behaviours, yeah. then you can train people yeah. on anything because Absolutely. they want to know it. They want to learn it. Now, if people happen to slide into your organisation that aren't quite aligned, people will slip through the net yeah. from time to time. Absolutely. But often you can say to them in the interview process, look, you know what, these are our core values. This is what they mean mm-hmm. to us. If you were to come and work for us, you are not going to be happy if you don't operate under these values. Yeah. That can also weed people out. They'll, all of a sudden you'll get this call and say, oh, you know, I've had another offer. And yeah. I'm going to take, like, you know, they're not going to tell you, oh, look, you know, I don't align. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately, people sure. aren't always going to be that open. If they happen to squeeze through the net as a leader and the team, you know, how cohesive the team is, uh-huh. the team can put in the peer review process every day. It's yeah. not about having a formal 360. Those 360 should happen every day. And it's just me and you having conversation. Andrew, I've noticed you come in here and again, you're not, yeah, you know, when you made that comment to the group, you, know, you realize you upset quite a few people. That's not really people smart. Tap them on the nose or something. Yeah. It's like, oh, sorry, I didn't didn't mean to do that. You do it again. Have yeah. the conversation. You do it again. You have the conversation. Now, if you're not seeing some form of improvement around those behaviors, then possibly they've found their way into your organization. They're not quite aligned. Yeah, you've got to continue to have the conversation. If you don't, and which what normally happens, and I'll get back to the HR point. What happens and where HR gets involved is that I say, Andrew, please improve. Mm. Second conversation, Andrew, please improve. Third time I see the behavior and I'm like, God, I've told Andrew twice. Yeah. And I let it go for a month. Oh, I've told Andrew before. Yeah. I let it go for another month. Maybe I let it go for three, four, five, six months. Then I go knocking on HR's door and say, Hey, you got to help me get rid of Andrew. Yeah. And that's where the disputes happen. Yeah. It's like, Holland, you never told me this. Well, you told me once or twice and I thought I'd improved a bit because you've not said anything to me again. Mm. Now you've got HR coming and we're talking a formal performance review process and here's the letter and stuff. Like that's, it didn't need to get to that. Why did it get to that? Because you stopped having the conversation. I think a lot of the listeners, including myself, can identify times in our working lives where that has happened. Absolutely. Yeah. 
Absolutely. I've done it myself. Mm. So I'm not sitting here on a pedestal to say I'm brilliant at this stuff. Yeah. No, I, I've learned the hard way. Thankfully, I haven't had performance conversations where I've been the one not performing, yeah. but I've certainly had to do it on the other side. So I look back and think, how have I actually given that person the best opportunity to succeed and to be the best version of themselves? Yeah. That's not them. That's me. I've got to take ownership for that. I've got to take responsibility. And if I can hold my hand on my heart and say, hey, I've done the best that I can do. I've given them the best opportunity to be the best person and to be in our organization and they're just not up to it. Yeah. Then that's when you need to have a more formal conversation. But there's ways to do that as well. So respectful. If we've got that trust, if we've got that trusting each other and vulnerability in a safe space, it's like, Andrew, you know, I'm seeing that you've been here three months. We've had multiple conversations. I don't feel you're happy because who likes having that conversation all the time? Mm. Like, how can I help you be happy? Helping you be happy is maybe how can I help you move to an organization and to an environment and to a culture that aligns more with you? Yeah. Again, people don't get out of bed saying, I'm going to do a bad job. Yeah, absolutely. And, and thing, and I was just thinking at the time of the, of the uh, instances I've witnessed uh, this happen, um, think about the amount of personal stress and anxiety. Having that conversation. Absolutely. Stop because you, you're not getting to that stage where it's all of a sudden a massive problem. Absolutely. I think we're all good for stopping stress in the workplace, that's for sure. Exactly. And look, what I do, just reinforce the point really quickly that I acknowledge that is very, very difficult. It is quite challenging to build up the courage, even to start with, to think about going to the leader and say, hey, Andrew, I know you're my leader. I care enough about you. I want to see you improve. I want to see this team improve. This is what I see. Yeah. Now that's, again, I'm coming from a position of humility. I'm not saying... I'd be a better leader than you. Yeah. If you've got that trust in the relationship, then that would never be taken that way. And again, leaders that take on that feedback, they're people that you want to work for. If you turned around and me said, Brendan, this is what we do, this is what I do, and this is how I do it, like it or lump it. Yeah. It's not the organization's bad or you're maybe you're not a bad leader, but you don't align with what works for me. Yeah. So I need to help and encourage myself to move out of that situation. So I just encourage people, don't be afraid to have the conversation. Most leaders those that are really valuable and that you will want to work for long-term will love that. And actually that will build trust because they know that you're going to tell them how they're going. You're not going to sit there and say, yes, Andrew, three bags full, Andrew, and then walk out of the room and say, no, Andrew, no, Andrew, <laughs> no. You know, not to their face. Yeah. So that builds trust. Yeah. Speaking the truth, being honest, builds trust, no matter how hard the conversation is. And how difficult can that be, for goodness sake? It can be tough, I know, but if you really, what I 100% believe, if you're coming from a space of, I just want to help you improve, Mm. again, it's not saying I'm better than you. I want to help me improve. I want to help you improve. I want to help our team improve. And this is just what I see. It's my perception. Okay, what do you think? You know what, Brendan, you're absolutely right. I actually feel that and I'm so happy that you've shared that with me Mm. and another level of vulnerability Can you help me? When that happens, can you let me know? Because I want to get better at this. Yeah. Like straight away, how much strength does that add to the relationship? Oh, massive. Massive. As opposed to saying, I'm nudging my mate next to me. Andrew's out the room. What about Andrew? What a knob. I mean, I know he supports (laughs) West Ham, but what about his leadership? (laughs) Like, you know, just. We can't all be perfect. Stephen Covey. So Stephen Covey Jr., Stephen M.R. Covey, I think it is. He said something about two things with leadership, love and accountability. Mm-hmm. So love your people like they're your family. Yeah. But also accountability has to happen because teams and organizations exist to get performance. Yeah. As do sporting teams, you know, anything that exists to, to achieve results, that inattention to results, achieve collective results. So if you have too much love, then you just become a family and you don't really achieve anything. Yeah. You, know, you just do a good group of people. Too much accountability, you're riding people too hard. And, you know, that'll burn people out. You've got to find that nice balance. I love you so much. I want to help you improve so much, and I'm going to help you be accountable to this. And through the dysfunctions of a team, you know, you've had your input. We've committed. We're achieving a collective goal. We we want to achieve this, and we're going to commit to it. Again, going back to that Ed Catmull phrase, it may be not even the best idea or the best decision, but a great team will make it better. They will make it happen. They will smash it out of the park every single time. Absolutely. 
Okay, right. Time is moving on. Now I'm going to, I'm going to get, uh, ask you to be vulnerable for a minute here, actually. Uh, <laughs> with, um, one of the questions. Practice what you preach. <laughs> exactly. And this goes on to really onto your leadership and management experience yourself. If you could live your time over again, what would you concentrate on more and what would you do less of? So keeping with the essence of, of what I have talked about, I honestly wish that I gave my leaders feedback. Yeah. Because I've left, people don't quit their jobs, they quit their leader yeah. or they quit their manager. And I've been guilty of that. Mm. Would my life have been better in that environment if I had the courage to do that? Yeah. I think it would have been because those leaders weren't bad people mm. at all. They thought they were doing a good job. Did I share information with them that I could have and should have? I didn't. Does that come with maturity, age? I'm not sure. But like I said, doing that, it, it makes all the difference. Yeah. It absolutely makes all the difference. Absolutely. So giving your leader feedback. We all have a choice. I've got a choice to be happy. Mm-hmm. I've got a choice to be moaning yeah. to people. Your choice. Andrew, you can't control my choice of that. Mm-hmm. Only I can control that. So I wish I made better decisions around that sort of stuff Mm. Um, because I think that would have helped me grow as a person as well. And maybe I would have had the opportunity and to live the life I'm I'm able to live now. And I'm not talking fine. I'm just talking about connecting and interacting with the people that I get to interact with and the leaders and teams I get to know. Maybe I could have achieved that a lot earlier in life if I had the courage to speak up earlier and to be more uncomfortable myself. Mm. Yeah, that's, that's absolutely fascinating. Actually reminds me of a leader that I once had very early in my career, actually. Mm. He was appalling. Uh, but one of the things that one of the real pivotal moments in my life was deciding that my values were very different to this person's values. Mm. Mm. That one moment in my life would decided never to work for a leader like that again. Mm. And that inspired me to go out and get my university education. Uh, Fantastic. And, and which eventually led me here to Australia. So isn't that amazing thing? We get a bit cranky about stuff, but a lot of us, it drives us. Yeah. It takes us forward. And that's, you know, it's again, adversity is a great thing. Yeah. You know, like they they say, but you know, the, in the startup world, I mean, you get hit and hit and hit and hit. You and I have had that conversation. I mean, you're a West Ham Support oh, for God's sake. You've got to have resilience. <laughs> resilience is my name. You are the man, Mr. Resilience. <laughs> Look, and on the less side, I guess I did touch on the complaining, but mm. I wish as a leader, when I've been involved in organizations leading people, I wish I focused more on behaviors yeah. than skill. Yeah. Again, that phrase I used before about hiring behavior, teach on skill. You know, I've promoted people in teams more through technical ability as opposed to behaviors. Yeah. Now, what, I, what I'm pretty comfortable in saying is that when I've been the leader and had to address performance-related problems, I have never shied back from that. Yeah. You know, yes, I haven't always had the conversation at the time I needed to and I've let it drag on and hence, you know, sometimes needing HR support, but I've got to a point where I've made decisions on those sorts of things. Yeah. But I didn't need to make that life difficult for mm-hmm. me if I focused more on behaviours when I was recruiting people, meeting people, yeah. leading people and hopefully inspiring people to do their work. If I focused on correct behaviours and less on the skill, then again, my world and the people that I've had the privilege of working with over the time would have been very different as well yeah. and a much more fulfilling experience for everyone. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, final question. If there's one piece of advice you could give any budding entrepreneur looking to build and scale up their business, what would it be? If you had a magic wand, what would you do? Okay, well, the the bit of advice, again, I'd have to say what I just touched on. I'm I'm a massive fan of hire on behavior, train on skill. I guarantee that if you do that and if you get good at seeking that out, but you've got to know what behaviors you value as an organization. And it goes back to that other question, you know, what, you know, how do we behave? Mm. You get clarity around that. And then you actively recruit. And from a startup perspective, that recruitment involves investors. I firmly believe I'm in a startup mode. I'm not mm. looking for investors per se. I guess you could say my customers are investors. Yeah. And they're paying me to do some work. But I want to work with the right clients. Mm. Yeah, because if I don't, then I'm going to find it very difficult to get results. Yeah. And often, you know, it's not going to be their fault. It's going to be my fault, yeah. right? So they're not going to create, become great advocates of my business either. So you need to do that with your people. Make sure you're clear on what your values are, your behaviours, and bring those people into your organisation. So hire on behaviour, train on skill. Yeah. If I had a magic wand, 
I think I can't remember. I'm terrible with movie names. My wife has to tell me what movies I've seen. <laughs> you and me both. But there's a, a movie recently that came out. I think about the Beatles, and no one had heard of the Beatles. Yeah, yeah. Right. Do you know the name of it? Let it be. Is it? Oh, I don't know. Anyway, so if I had that wand or the fairy dust, okay. I think I'd sprinkle that over organisations and leaders. Yeah. And have them forget everything they've ever learnt about managing. Okay and transfer everything they should know about being leaders Yeah, because there's chalk and cheese, Yeah, right? So whether I need to run around and call myself the little fairy princess now, God, man, I'm going to hear this. No. <laughs> um, <laughs> this but, you know, if you had some dust yeah. and we could sprinkle over people and just, or maybe the MI, what is it, men in black, that, that <laughs> thing, and just boom, you know, yeah. don't be a manager, be a leader. Your job is to inspire people to come to work and to coach people to be the best version of themselves and to help them achieve that. Yeah. If we could do that, sure, maybe I wouldn't have as much work on, but there'd be other opportunities somewhere. Yeah. There's always opportunity, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. So that would be fantastic to be able to do that. Yeah. The fairy dust. I don't think you're going to live that down in future. Um, <laughs> Certainly not from you. <laughs> Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Right, we've got, we've got to wrap up now. One thing, one really important thing, where can people find more about you and how do they get in touch? I've got a website, obviously, so that's brendanrogers.com.au. I'm a massive fan of LinkedIn. So you can find me on LinkedIn, Brendan Rogers, Leadership and Team Performance Coach. And I should add too that uh, one of the things myself and a couple of my friendly co-hosts and good friends, Mark Charette and Isaac Feeney, we're very, very fortunate enough to run LinkedIn Local Central yep. Coast and that's on the last Monday of every month. So you can always come along and you'll be able to speak to me there uh, speak to people like you, but lots and lots of other business owners that have, again, shown the trust in us to try and bring business people together from the coast. And we've got people from Northern Sydney coming up and people from Newcastle coming down as well, but yeah. particularly people on the coast. So, you know, LinkedIn Local, a free event, bringing people and businesses on the coast together. And our job is to help people like you, people yeah. like me, other people in the community get hired. I mean, it's all about we want our business to succeed. And fundamentally, I believe that when we create relationships and build relationships with people, that creates a greater opportunity to succeed. Absolutely. So come along. You can find me there last Monday of every month. If not, on LinkedIn, Brendan Rogers Leadership Team Performance Coach or my website, brendanrogers.com.au. That was fantastic and totally fascinating, Brendan. That was absolutely awe-inspiring. Thank, Thank you, you mate. very much for, um, for, for your time today. That Absolutely my pleasure, Andrew. And look, I have to say to your listeners as well and to you personally, just, you know, you and I have, have known each other for a little while now. And although we have our differences football wise, <laughs> we have great conflict around that, which yeah. is because we trust each other enough. We trust um, each other. But you know, what you're doing is inspiring. You know, you, I know you've been at this game for a long time and you're making some inroads. You, you're a few steps back and, mm. um, and, and a few steps forwards. You know, you're a very resilient guy. I know we joked about that before, but even what you're doing around the podcast, that's, you know, I've talked about this for a little bit of time and, you know, you're inspiring people again in business to just get off their ass and do stuff. Just make Correct. a difference. It doesn't have to be perfect. Yeah. And none of us are perfect, but no. get out and do it. So, mate, yeah. thank you for what you're doing for business on the Central Coast and, and everywhere. Well done. Thank you, Brendan. And so we're going to wrap up now. Our next guest is going to be a very special guest as well, which is continuing this theme but looking more at emotional intelligence. So thank you, very much for, thank you very much for listening.